Across from Millennium Park on Michigan Avenue between Washington and Randolph Streets stands what used to be Chicago's main public library. As a young theater student, I borrowed recordings of Broadway musicals from the library's music department, while my wife, who was a piano student, recalls checking out numerous recordings of pianists like Rubinstein, Horowitz, and others. Many of us are old enough to remember actually using the vast resources to complete hastily prepared high school term papers. Before the building was decommissioned and transformed into the Chicago Cultural Center in 1977. This is Reno Lovison, executive producer at ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com, asking you to consider for a moment what Chicago looked like in the mid to late 1890s. For instance, for two years, the Masonic Temple on Staten Randolph at 21 stories high was the tallest building in the world and remained Chicago's tallest building for the next 30 years. During this period, Chicago's population grew to well over 1 million. The first motor cars would not appear on the streets for several years, but bicycles were rapidly growing in popularity, while horse car, omnibus lines, and cable cars were already being converted to electric trolley cars that ran as far north as Wilson Avenue at speeds that would eventually approach a dizzying 14 miles per hour. In 1897, congestion in downtown Chicago led to the construction of the city's first elevated railway. In 1893, as visitors were arriving for the World's Columbian Exposition, construction began on one of Chicago's most iconic buildings, the new public library, which officially opened in 1897. The building itself was and continues to be an inspiration to everyone who visits, largely due to the stunning marble staircases and foyers studded with thousands of pieces of inlaid, dazzling, iridescent glass and semi-precious stones. It's said that for a time, the world's supply of blue-veined statuary marble from the quarries of Italy was exhausted, and construction work was delayed because the material could not be excavated rapidly enough to meet the demand for this project. There is also the use of copious amounts of Vermont and Knoxville marble to be found throughout the building. Among the many inlaid mosaics is this quote from Isaac Barrow, English mathematician and teacher of Isaac Newton, who said, he who loveth a book will never want a faithful friend, a wholesome counselor, a cheerful companion, or an effectual comforter. The most magnificent feature of the building, and a favorite among visitors even today, is the famed 38-foot diameter Tiffany Dome that includes 30,000 individual panes of glass and is said to be the largest of its kind in the world. Restoration on the dome was completed in 2008, and it is estimated to be currently valued around $35 million. The land needed for the public library project was donated by a Civil War veterans group, led by then-Senator John A. Logan, a retired Civil War general and namesake of the Northside Logan Square neighborhood. With the agreement that the library would maintain a museum dedicated to the conflict, at least as long as there was still one veteran of the Grand Army of the Republic still living. I lived on the south side and started going downtown by myself around age 10, traveling on the Illinois Central Railroad to the train station below ground at Randolph Street in Michigan. Sometimes over the years, I would take the Jeffrey Express or Cottage Grove buses, which also stopped at the same intersection. 
So stopping into the library or simply cutting through the building between the Randolph and Washington entrances was a frequent part of my downtown adventures. The GAR Museum, as it came to be known, was always a personal favorite of mine in those years, and I spent many hours over many visits looking closely at the uniforms, surgical tools, documents, and other artifacts on display, free to the public. It was just a quiet place to be, and it always seemed like something not too many people knew about. The GAR Museum Rotunda has a stunning 40-foot diameter, leaded, stained-glass dome of its own, crafted by a local Chicago company. Originally, it was a skylight, but it's now enclosed in copper to protect it from the outside elements and backlit with electric lights. Interestingly, my trip on the IC also took me past the statue of Abraham Lincoln's nemesis, Stephen A. Douglas, atop his memorial monument, whose ironic Bronzeville location can be clearly viewed from the west side of the tracks at 35th Street. Around the same time as construction began on the library, the Illinois Central opened its new central station at Roosevelt Road and Michigan Avenue to meet the transportation demands of those traveling from downtown to the World's Columbian Exposition. The nine-story building featured a 13-story clock tower and housed the general offices of the railroad. It was closed in 1972 and demolished shortly thereafter. However, you can get a look at it in the largely unsuccessful 1969 movie comedy, Gaily Gaily, based on an autobiographical story by newspaper man Ben Hecht, starring Bo Bridges and Brian Keith. If you're interested in learning more about movies made in Chicago, look for our interview with Mike Corcoran, author of Hollywood on Lake Michigan, and our story about Chicago's silent film era, both at chicagobroadcastingnetwork.com. You might also enjoy listening to my podcast review of the film documentary Expo, Magic of the White City, all about the Chicago Columbian Exposition. Each year, the Chicago Cultural Center features more than a thousand programs and exhibitions covering a wide range of the performing, visual, and literary arts. At chicagobroadcastingnetwork.com, you can find a video we produced of an art exhibit in commemoration of the Illinois Bicentennial that was exhibited in the Cultural Center in 2018. Julie Lovison, director of the Lakeshore Music Studio, providing piano lessons for all ages, would like to encourage you to visit the Cultural Center to experience the Dame Myra Hess Memorial Concerts, featuring solo and ensemble performances of classical music that showcase emerging performers held year-round on Wednesdays at 12.15 under the Tiffany Dome in Preston Bradley Hall. So if you're planning a visit to Chicago or just headed downtown to pay your water bill or do some shopping, consider a short detour to the Cultural Center just to soak up the ambiance or check out whatever exhibits happen to be featured. I promise it'll be thought-provoking, historic, beautiful, and admission to the building is free. This is Reno Lovison, executive producer at ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com, reminding you to please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast to be reminded when new content is added. Also, be sure to listen to our neighborhood news reports recorded in cooperation with Inside Publications. Thanks to Julie Lovison for her solo piano version of Chicago That Toddlin' Town, written by Fred Fisher, who moved to Chicago from Germany in about 1900 and published that song about 20 years later. So check out our podcast, Why is Chicago a Toddling Town, here at chicagobroadcastingnetwork.com.